0: We magnify you, Jesus. Above everything else, above everyone else, we honour you. We revere you. We respect you. We honour you, Lord. And you are here right now. And we're hungry that you'd speak to us. Amen. Are you hungry that God will speak to you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, welcome, it's great to see you here. You can take a seat where you are. Our friends online, so good that you joined us. Those who perhaps aren't well, we pray that you'll be healed. Or those who are traveling, it's great that you could jump on with us today. Every visitor in the house, maybe it's your first time in church. I remember my first time in church. It was different, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, so it was a little bit weird coming into a, a new place like this, but we'll look after you. It's gonna be okay. It's going to be okay. The Word of God, we're going to get into the Word of God. The Word of God, the Bible says, is powerful. It is so powerful. It's like a light, a bright light when there's a dark corridor, that bright light, when you open it, that light comes on. The Bible is also described like a mirror that we can go to and we can check ourselves out really and um, just see where we might have something between our teeth or unfortunately hanging out of our nose. Have you ever had a time like that? And you're just like, I wish somebody had told me. Real friends speak up, but the mirror never lies. And the word of God, it's sweet, the Bible says. It's like a box of Cadbury roses. Got any chocoholics in the house like me? Yeah? Something for everyone. There is caramel, Turkish delight. Who likes Turkish delight? Who's with the dark peppermint? Dark peppermint? Oh, not so many there. Milk chocolate caramel. Mm, Yeah, Word of God is sweet. And we're going to jump into a passage that really came on my heart at the start of this year. When Pastor Jack and Carol launched this theme uh, for a king and his cause, this passage came to my mind. And it's the triumphal entrance of Jesus um, as a king coming in. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 19 and dive in there. And it's a time where Jesus is just leaving Bethany. He has just done the most amazing miracle of his his life resurrecting lazarus from the dead and He is at all-time popularity high. His disciples are like, you are the man. We are following you forever. You are amazing. But then on the other hand, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they were like, we have got to do something about you. And they put like a bounty on his head. They wanted him arrested. So just think about Jesus is leaving Bethany. He's walking along the road towards Jerusalem. Now, he knows that his end is about to come in about a week. And he is walking actually ahead of his disciples, probably contemplating where he is heading to, Jerusalem, the place that really was going to be the place of his death. And as he's walking along, he stops and he turns to two of his disciples and he says to them, guys, I've got a mission, should you accept to choose it? This mission is like no other. I want you to go into the next village and I want you to untie a Donkey's colt and bring it to me. Now, I think their eyes probably were as wide as hubcaps. They were thinking, "Are we truly needing to steal a baby donkey here?" You know. So he said, "Don't worry, it's going to be okay. If anybody asks why are you untying that colt, just say the Lord needs it." So that works. It will read verse going on to verse thirty-two. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said, and sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply reply, the Lord needs it. Now, what a password to use. Imagine saying, I need a new car popping down the road. I like that one. The Lord needs it. (laughs) It'll work. No, it will not work for you, okay? This was because it really was the Lord needing it. It really was a mission from God. And I wonder as they grab this They take this cult and they're walking along. I wonder if it's in this moment, as they're walking with this cult, that suddenly memories come up to them. Memories of when they were young and they were told the prophetic stories of the Messiah. Memories of when they were in the the temple, hearing the, the scriptures and the prophecies read. And perhaps that is when the the prophetic voice of Zechariah came to their mind that they had heard many times. Zechariah 9.9 said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem, where they're heading. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation. Humble and mounted on a donkey, even a colt The foal of a donkey. Now I can imagine the excitement. We've got the colt. We're going to Jerusalem. This is all making sense now. And they're they're probably getting a bit faster to get back to Jesus and excited. They bring the colt to Jesus and the next minute they start stripping off their shirts down to their underwear. They're they're stripping off and they grab their garments and they make like a saddle and put it upon the colt. And then they actually pick up Jesus. And they put him, set him up onto the donkey, the colt, to ride upon. Verse 36, as he rode along, the crowd spread. This is a crowd of disciples, of followers that have gathered. The crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. This is like a form of red carpet. This is like the Oscars. This is like making a way. This is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It was a a very symbolic response. Because in the the, um, Israelites' time of, of Elisha, he secretly anointed Jehu as king. And in a response, Jehu's men hurried and took their cloaks and spread them underneath on the steps. And they blew the trumpets and they shouted, Jehu is king. So this was a significant symbolic thing to do. Throwing down garments ready for a king to start their reign. This was monumental. This was a moment like no other. We read in verse 37, when he reached the place where the road started down to descend the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. They sang that. I'm not going to sing it because I cannot sing. You do not want to hear me. (laughs) There was shouting, there was singing. It was like, it was boisterous. Somebody had just been raised from the dead. They were not being quiet about this. Verse 39, but some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, "'Teacher, rebuke your followers "'for saying things like that.'" They were offended. You can't be letting people call you the Messiah King. You can't be letting people praise you like that, like you're the Messiah King, But Jesus replied, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into tears. And as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. If you only knew there was such an opportunity, an open door for you, but now that door is starting to close. And Jesus comes and he's weeping over this city, full of compassion for the lost and the broken and those without peace. And when I read this passage, I started to think, what does this mean about King Jesus what is he doing? He is deliberately demonstrating something. This is a moment of demonstration. This is very deliberately declaring himself as Lord of Lords, King of Kings, the promised Messiah. Now, what is a Messiah? I hear you ask. Thanks for asking. I've got the answer. The Messiah was the promised one that would come, an anointed one that had come, that was anointed to be king, anointed to be priest. And he would be born of the line of the King of David. He'd be born in Bethlehem to a virgin. There were many prophecies over a 1,000 years, 750 years, about this Messiah king that would be born. In the, in the Greek, it means the Messiah means to anoint, uh, yeah, to anoint, and this was the king anointed. So here Jesus is self-proclaiming, I'm the one who's anointed king. I am the Messiah. And he, he is declaring that I'm coming endowed with salvation. I'm humble and mounted on a donkey. I'm, I'm the one. He's making that declaration. Now, either he is a madman with a Messiah complex or he is the king of kings. As C.S. Lewis put it so well, he's either a liar a lunatic, or he is the Lord. Many years before C.S. Lewis came up with that term, the Scottish Christian preacher, Rabbi John Duncan, said Jesus either deceived mankind by conscious fraud, or he was himself deluded and self-deceived, or he was divine. He was divine. He was, a div- he was divine, He is divine, He is the King and He is Lord and He proved it by dying on the cross and resurrecting three days later, proving He was who He said He was. He resurrected the- and He said that when I resurrect, I will be seated on the throne at the right hand of the Father. He is now a King on His throne in heaven, worthy of worship, amen? Amen. And he is worthy of my worship. He is my king. Is he your king? The kind of king he is is totally countercultural. He was so humble. Most kings of that time, Roman kings, they actually, they were emperors. They called themselves gods. And if you were the son of a king, the son of an emperor, you were the son of God. They would come into battle on stallions. They would ride on the best of horses. They would never ride on a donkey. But our king, he is so humble. He's the humble king. The kings of this world, they seek power and privilege. In fact, in that next week, Jesus gathered his disciples at the Passover. He was meeting with them, celebrating with them. And he actually, they started like fighting over who's the greatest of them all. And he actually took that moment to to teach them about true greatness and true power. He said to them, look, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And the greatest among you become as the sorry, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you be as the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. He's teaching them, look, look at me, I'm here serving you. I am a humble king. This is what true greatness, a true king does. He is a humble king and he's a king of peace. You know, the, the Jewish kings of old, King David, King Solomon, they actually would ride on a donkey to signify that they're not coming into a town to bring war. They were coming to bring peace. Riding a donkey was significant to say, I'm bringing peace. And when Jesus rode this donkey into Jerusalem, he was making a declaration, I am the king of peace. I'm coming to bring peace to your heart, peace between you and God, true peace that this world cannot bring you. He is a courageous king. He was so audacious, so bold, so fearless to to put on this demonstration when he knew there were people that wanted his life, there was a bounty out for him. The authorities were hostile and they'd already given instructions that anyone who knew where Jesus was needs to inform them so that they could arrest him. He is courageous, he was not hiding, he was not quiet, he was not avoiding being caught. His cause was so important, his conviction so compelling, it urged him to be courageous. He is a humble king, he is a king of peace and he is a courageous king. And I love that he is a compassionate king. He is weeping over a city Jerusalem of people people that aren't part of his kingdom, he was weeping over. Now, not many kings would weep over their own kingdom, let alone weeping over people that weren't part of their kingdom. Kings of this world, they demand response. They demand respect. They, there's certain ways that you have to respond to a king in this world. There's protocol. There's etiquette. You, you can't do this. You can't do that. You have to wear this. You can't wear that. You can't say this. You have to say that. You. There's so many protocols. But Jesus, he doesn't demand you clean yourself up before you come to him. He says, come as you are. Come as you are. Come as you are. I love you as you are. I love you as you are. He lays down his life for his followers. Kings of this world don't do this. Even, I mean, we know that we're about to get, we've got a king now um, over, over, and sorry, yeah, th- thanks, Sonia, for helping me. Come on. <laughs> there is a king, King Charles, but there's also, you know, the, the king of pop, king of rock, there's king of sports. We have kings in our life, heroes in our life that we we pay respect to and we, we, we talk a certain way to and we act a certain way with, but none of them will lay down their life for us. None of them bring peace to us. So how? How should we respond to this king who has been, who is this? This king, this humble, courageous, caring, compassionate. How do we respond to a king like that? How do I respond to a king like that? And I look at this passage and what the disciples did and I want to be like that. You know, they responded to his voice. They responded to the voice of the king. Now, when he made a request to them, I want you to go and get this donkey's colt, it wasn't a reasonable request. It was a bit weird. It was a bit different. It was uncomfortable. It was not an easy mission. But they did it. They were sent and they went. They responded to the request of Jesus and their submissive obedience reveals their allegiance to the king Jesus They recognised and affirmed Jesus' kingship through their actions. You know, I ask my kids to do things all the time, you know, like, can you put the washing away? I've I've folded your washing, can you go and put it away? Oh, mum, I'm just on a game with my friends, can I just finish my game? Oh, okay. You go in later that night, open the wardrobe, the washing's been put in the room, but it has been thrown in the wardrobe. And it's like, hello, I just want them to respond and do what I asked to do, just put it away nicely. You know, sometimes I've been guilty of responding to Jesus' words like a 12-year-old boy. <laughs> we have the voice of God, we have the voice of Jesus right here. What do we do when he speaks to us? How do we respond to his voice? When he says, I want you to be kind and compassionate, be forgiving, do we respond, okay, I'm going to suck it up and I'm going to do it. When he says love one another, when he says submit to one another, when he says have it nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, do we go, oh, maybe in half an hour, <laughs> maybe when it suits me. No, these disciples, they responded to the voice of Jesus. We have the voice of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and they respond. And when the Holy Spirit prompts you and he says, I want you to be generous and give to that person, do we say, yeah, okay, I'm going to do that? When the Holy Spirit prompts us and says, I want you to stop watching that show. It's, It's not helpful for you. I want you to turn it off. Do we do it immediately or do we wait a little bit longer to find the end of the story? I know I've been challenged. How do we respond to the voice of the Lord? I don't want to respond like a 12-year-old boy. Can I do it later? Secondly, the response I see here is that they began contributing to the cause of their king. They pulled off their shirts and their outer garments and they were uncomfortable so that they could make Jesus comfortable to make that saddle. And How are we responding in that way? Removing things from ourselves, giving things, contributing from the things that we own and that make us comfortable. You know, when visitors come to my house, I don't ask them to do anything. I I don't know them very well. Come to my home. I'm not going to ask you to bring anything. But when my friends come over, I say, sure, bring a salad, bring some dessert, because they're my friends. I let them contribute. But when it's family... They contribute. You spill it, you clean it up. the groceries have arrived, you help put it away. We are family. And it's that way in the family of God. You know, we say welcome to every visitor. We love that every week we have visitors come to this house of God. and we say, come and come and have morning tea with us after the service. We'd love to to give you and put on morning tea and host you. But when you are friends and when you are family, we say, come and contribute to God's house. Come and contribute to God's kingdom. Bring your, your talent, um, bring your tithe, bring, bring what God has given you, your gift, and contribute it to God's house, to God's kingdom. Yeah. We want to contribute and respond by contributing to the king's cause. We don't want to be consumer Christians. We want to be contributors, amen? Thirdly, we respond with passionate praise to our King. <laughs> when he rode along, the crowds, they put all the garments down, they stripped off, they were undignified, they were loud, they were worshipping, they were shouting, they were singing. They were very responsive in their worship. They were very passionate. They got palm branches and 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 swung the palm branches and put the palm branches down. You know, next Sunday is actually Palm Sunday when we celebrate this. They were passionately praising God. And I just wonder how do we respond in praise to God? How do we Honor him and lift his name and be passionate in our praise. I know he deserves, this kind of king deserves passionate praise. He doesn't deserve us coming into the house of God and just checking, you know, what's the Champions League doing right now, you know, on our phones or one hand, I think I'll give a little, you know. He deserves our everything, our passion. Our total devotion, more than what we would shout at a soccer game. I was shouting at a soccer game yesterday for my sons. Koopy was playing soccer, I was shouting for him. But we should be raising our voice for our king. There is an enemy that wants to stop our voice. And just like in verse 39, some of the Pharisees came along to the crowd and they said, "'Teacher, rebuke your followers "'for saying things like that.'" Rebuke them, they shouldn't be shouting and singing. They are, get them to be quiet and the enemy wants to stop your voice as well he wants to stop the shout he wants to stop your praise he'll put every excuse I'm tired people next to me are going to judge me people in my house if I get too loud worshipping in my home what are they going to say about me what do they think about me the enemy wants to stop your praise he wants to stop your praise but we want to say no no we're not going to stop praising. and We're not going to be quiet. And I believe we're going to have a new voice rising up in this house, a new passionate praise. I can feel it starting. I've noticed it starting. And I believe we're going to a new place in our praise and our worship in this house. I love that the disciples' passionate praise of their king stirred the people of the city and caused the people of the city to say, who is this man? You look at Matthew's account in Matthew 21 of this instance. And he said, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is Jesus. There authentic passionate praise caused such a stir that people said, who is this that you are so passionate about? Who is this? May Penrith say that about us. Who is this Jesus that they are so passionate about? Now we don't need weird Christians. You know, we've all had friends and family come to church and we're like, please don't have anybody weird next to me on the aisle. But we want authentic. Do you know when I first went to church, my first time in church, I walked in and it was different. People raising their hands. What's this about? But I looked at my girlfriend next to me, Jo, and she was worshipping God so authentically, so vulnerably. I knew her and I knew she's real. She's real. And the God that she's worshipping, she is close to him. There is something there that I want. There is something there that I want. May people see that in our lives. Amen. May we respond with passionate prayer. And lastly, my king is a king of compassion. He wept over Jerusalem. I want to be a disciple who's responsive. I don't want to be hard hearted. I want to be able to weep for what he weeps for. I don't want to, I've been doing this for over, I've been a Christian for over 30 years, 32 years. I don't want to get hard. I don't want to get, yeah. I want to have a soft heart. I want to weep for things that that matter to Jesus. As he approached Jerusalem, he wept over it. People that were starved, that needed peace. And I remember when I first got sent and I went into Cranbrook High School as a high school's worker, Pastor Jack said, before you preach at those kids, before you do anything, you need to get on your knees and you need to pray for them, and you need to weep for them. So I did. I interceded for these kids of Cranbrook High, and I wept, and I wept, and I prayed. My heart got soft for these kids, and we saw unbelievable things happen in that school. We saw that their learning centre filled with a 100 kids in our lunchtime group. We saw a bus full of kids off to Youth Alive and kids joining our youth ministry. But it started with a broken heart. And I want to have that that broken heart still for my friends and my relatives and my neighbours next door. How about you? How about you? We've got Easter in two weeks. How about we get on our knees and pray for those who need Jesus over these next two weeks? How about we stand in the gap for them and we cry and we pray and we step out? We've got opportunity. We've got Easter services. We've got Alpha. Let's make use of it. Yeah? Yeah. Well, will ask the, the team to join me. And I'd love to be able to pray for us right now. I'd love to be able to pray that we would have a, the response that we need to have to a king like this, a humble king, a king that is full of peace, a king that is just so courageous and compassionate that we would have a responsiveness in us, that we would move in response to our King. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet right now. I'd love to pray for you. I just ask that you close your eyes. Because I believe just like a Cadbury's box of roses, there's something for everyone. And there has been something that the Lord has highlighted for you this morning that was just for you. So let's not just go, oh yeah, that point was for me and walk out. Let's respond. Let's respond right now to him. Lord, we open our hearts to you. We say, Lord, we want to repent of the times we've ignored your voice. We haven't applied your word. Lord, we want to apply your word. We want to follow your voice. Lord, we want to Follow the promptings of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Lord, make our ears attuned to your voice. Lord, if we've found it hard to understand and to apply your word, Lord, I pray that we would do something about that, that we would go to a connect group and get help of somebody alongside us to help us apply the word to our lives, Lord, so that we would respond to your word, Lord. Lord, let there be a new receptivity to your word, as we open your word, that it would come alive and that we would know it's you, Holy Spirit, speaking just to us. Lord, may we have courage to put your word into motion. Lord, we pray a responsiveness. Lord, if you are speaking to us right now about contributing to your cause, our our time, Lord God that we would offer our time to our King, our, our talents, our, our tithes, that we would obey you and respond in a, a generous spirit, a willing spirit, that we would make ourselves uncomfortable, Lord, for your cause. And Lord, I pray that we would have a new passion, a new passion to praise you, Lord, like never before, to be, Lord, unrestrained, unrestrained, not caring what others think about us, but giving you the honor and the praise that you deserve, that you deserve, Lord, King Jesus. Lord, I lift up people here that might have been feeling like a hardness that's been calloused over your heart. Lord, I pray a tenderness would come, a compassion would come. Lord, Lord, for those of us who have not had tears of compassion for some time, Lord, I pray there would be a newness, a newness of freshness, of care, of responsiveness to the need and the lostness of people's lives, Lord God, Lord, that you would move us, that you would move us, that we would take the time to intercede, to pray for those that you have positioned us around, our family and our friends, Lord God, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for change today, Lord God. We thank you that you are changing us and that we're walking out different this morning, Lord God. Be glorified in our lives, we pray in your mighty name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Team, would you lead us? Thank you.